Morning, welcome to Christian Fellowship. Kids, you are dismissed to head up to King's Table. Thank you all for being here. Um, as we get started this morning, I'd like to uh, do a couple of special thank yous. Um, specifically, uh, we have people who come here very early on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, to uh, get coffee made for us. Uh, specifically, uh, Renate and Chris, uh, Christine Barrill come and they make the coffee and get everything set up for us this morning and take care of the kitchen. So thank you both for the amount of time and energy that goes into that. Thank you for the way that you care for us um, because it's a big deal and it's important. And I know how many people would be still asleep if we didn't have coffee. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in a seat back near you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. Uh, so first, John, if you are using a seat back Bible, that's going to be on page 1021. So we've been in this series most of this year uh, and called God is Light, where John is writing to a group of Christians and trying to remind them, trying to sure them up in their faith and say, look, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He is truth. He is the one you want to follow, the one you want to be in. Um, and so we're going to be continuing in our service, uh, in our series this morning. And as you're turning there, um, yesterday, we, uh, a group of us went and took part in Clean Up Roscoe Village Day, where we went out and picked up garbage, and um, a couple people helped and, and raked up some of, the, some of our grass out here and made the parking lot look good. And thank you for everybody who came and, and did that as well. And so afterwards, uh, myself and Wade and Daniel, we were playing basketball yesterday um, in the afternoon, and they are both taller and quicker than I am. Uh, so it didn't go well for me, really. Um, but I was thinking about this. When you play basketball, every time you take a shot, you have to have, you expect to score, right? Nobody throws up a shot and, and expects to miss. You expect to score. You need to expect to score. Uh, the greatest basketball player of all time, don't argue with me, Michael Jordan, once said, you have to expect things of yourself before you can do them. You have to be confident in the decision to shoot Otherwise, you're never going to score. You're never even going to take that shot. You have to have confidence. Confidence plays an important role in our lives. You guys are all sitting in chairs. You sat down in those chairs, assuming, having the confidence that that chair was going to hold you. Assuming and having the confidence that that chair was going to keep you upright. We go and we eat at a restaurant because we are confident the food is going to taste good. We place our confidence in a lot of different things, yet when it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes we become unsure. We become weary. We become concerned on how to, how to relate to God, how to, how to approach Him. We, we worry about our relationship status with God. And to a degree, I think that makes sense, right? God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of all existence. He speaks and life happens. He is the everlasting, uncreated God, and we are us, right? So, yeah, there is a little bit of trepidation when we approach God. That's understandable. But what we're going to see in this morning's passage is John telling us that if you are a Christian, if your faith has been put in Christ, then your confidence should be in Christ as well. And if that's true, then there are things, other things, ramifications, that where we can place our confidence. We can have our confidence in the assurance of our salvation, we can have confidence in our prayers being answered, and we can have confidence in the grace that we have received and can rest in. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 John chapter 3. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather together and worship you and sing and pray and read your word and fellowship and do all of these things together. God, we come to you this morning knowing you are the God of grace, the God of grace who pours out the gift of love into our hearts. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, give us peace. Lord, we ask that you give us peace from the chaos of this world, peace from the the things that are going on in our lives that overwhelm us. Lord, we ask for peace this morning. We come asking you to renew our spirits and draw us closer to yourself. God, as we open your word this morning, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us. As I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19. 1 John 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We're going to stop right there. We have assurance. We have confidence before God. He starts this in verse 19. He says, by this. He says, basically saying, if this is true. Well, what's the this? It's verse 18 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Actively living out Our faith is what John is calling us to there. Actively living out the love of God that is supposed to be a mark of the Christian community. That is supposed to be a mark of who we are as Christians. A love that is not just talked about, not just theorized, but a love that is acted out. We are supposed to be a people marked by this active love. But what John has made clear in this letter is that doing that does not earn us God's favor. We don't do that. We don't try to act out our love because it's going to impress God, we do it as a response to what God has already done in our lives. How he has saved us, how he has changed us, given us this new identity, given us a new nature. And we respond in turn with love. And that response of love in action, what John says here, is an assurance for us of our salvation. Because to be the kind of person who lives out this active, self-sacrificing love, to love in a way that puts another person's needs or wants or desires ahead of our own, even to our own detriment, that comes from knowing Christ. It comes from experiencing that kind of love that God showed us at the cross when Jesus came and sacrificed himself, gave up himself for us. And so when we do that for another person, when we are able to put someone else ahead of ourselves, it is this small reminder to ourselves, this piece of assurance, John says, that our identity has been changed, that we, have been, that we are saved. It's like getting a receipt when you buy an ice cream cone. That receipt is a reminder of the awesome, delicious snack you just had. Our acting out love towards one another is this reminder of us of this great, wonderful thing we have gotten from God, namely our salvation, our new identity as his children. And it's something that we need to be reminded of. It's something we need to be reminded of often because otherwise we can fall into the trap of hearing and believing lies. Lies like, I'm not lovable. 
I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I have no value. The sins that I have committed are far too big to be forgiven. See, we think these things, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we can think of these things and compare our lives and our actions with that of Jesus and what he did on the cross and the love that was shown there. And I know for me, I think about me and my life and then I compare it to Jesus and I think, man, I'm, I'm the worst. John says in the passage we looked at, John says that's our heart condemning us. See, the word for condemn here is a compound word. It's two words smashed together. First half of it is to know. The second half is against. So literally, it's to know something against someone. To blame. To accuse. But as I said, this is internal. So it's really, I blame and I accuse myself. Because I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know my desires. I know those things about myself that I don't want anybody else to know. And see, it's possible that we can get so caught up in that mess, in the mess and junk of ourselves, that we condemn ourselves and we begin to believe that we have no hope. We begin to believe that maybe this time I have sinned so many times, I have sinned so big that God has finally said enough and cut me off and given up on me. But what John says here is that if we truly are living out this active love, if we are truly his children, and we are acting out this active love, which is a byproduct, right? Not, not to cause God's love for us, but as a result of God's love for us. Then even though we may condemn ourselves, what does he say in verse 20? God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Which means you may blame and accuse and attack yourself and condemn yourself, but God doesn't condemn you. As a Christian, you are a child of God, and he does not condemn you. Paul, the Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You cannot out God's love for you. God knows who are his children. He knows everything about you, and still he sent his son to die for you. He knows all of the good about you and all of the bad, all of the things you keep hidden from the world, all the things that you would be embarrassed and ashamed if people really knew what you really thought or what you were really like. God knows all of that. He still sends Jesus to die for you because he loves you. He loves you unconditionally. God is greater than your heart, which means if you are a Christian, hear me on this. If you are a Christian, you are not the sins you have committed. And you are not the sins that have been committed against you. God is greater than those things. The death and resurrection of Jesus is greater than those things. We just celebrated Easter Sunday, and it's big, and it's important, and we decorated, and we wore nice clothes, and it's a big deal because it's a big deal that Christ rose from the dead. And if we go about our lives and we believe that somehow I can do something that was too horrible, that was too wicked for God to forgive, then really what I'm saying is that the cross isn't powerful enough, is that the cross didn't get the job done. Thanks, Jesus, but it wasn't enough for me. And that's just not true. We have the assurance of the God of all existence that if you are a Christian, you are not condemned. You are forgiven. Which means we need to let go of the guilt and the shame that we carry around. Because it's been paid for. It was bought with a very steep price, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
So the barriers that Satan tries to put up to slow us down in our relationship with God, things like guilt and shame, these things are removed because there is now no condemnation. God is greater than those things. So Christians can have the assurance of our salvation and your standing with God. Not only is there assurance there, not only can we have confidence in the assurance of our salvation, but we can have confidence that our prom- the promise of our prayers being answered. Look at verse 22. It says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whatever we ask, we receive of him. I know a bunch of you just prayed and said, God, I'd like a bag of money sitting in my back seat when I get out of church today because you just told me whatever I ask, I receive from him. Bummer, unless you put the bag of money there already, it's not going to be there. See, when I was a kid, if I asked my parents for candy for dinner or ice cream for dinner, apparently I have ice cream on the brain, if I, asked him, if I asked my parents for sweets for dinner, what would they say to me? They'd say, no. Any good parent would say, no, you can't just have candy and ice cream for dinner. Why? Because it wasn't good for me. Because it wouldn't be beneficial to me. Now, in the same way, if I went to my parents growing up and I said, hey, can you take me to the library or take me to the bookstore because there's a book, I, I want to read a new book. I'm done reading whatever I was done reading and I want to read something new. Nine times out of ten, my parents took me to the library or the bookstore. Why? Because they wanted to instill in me to make me the kind of person who enjoys reading, who enjoys being in books, who enjoys doing those kind of things. Because it was beneficial to me. You see, the key to verse 22 here, where he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him, the key to 22 is the second half of 22. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. My parents would be more willing to take me to the library to get a book because it pleased them that I had a desire to read. It didn't please them that I wanted to just eat Jolly Ranchers all the time. But again, what we need to keep at the forefront is that God is not a slot machine. It's not, if I keep his commandments, then he will give me what I want. If I do all the things he told me I have to do, then he's going to give me whatever I want. That's not the way this relationship works. What John is saying is that if you are living as God has called Christians to live, if we are obeying, if we are in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, abiding in him, if we're in scripture and we're letting scripture fill us and and challenge us and change us, if we're pursuing God in prayer, pursuing knowing God deeper and deeper still, what's going to happen is that our wants and our desires are going to start to shift, are going to start to change, and are going to be more in line with God's will. And when we are praying God's will, prayers get answered. Spoilers, 1 John 5.14, which at this rate we'll see in like 2018, says if we ask according to his will, he hears us. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Again, it's about not just asking, but asking according to his will. Getting in line with God's will. And what does that look like? It looks like keeping his commandments, and doing what pleases him. So what's the commandments? What do we do to please God? Again, we've been saying it over and over throughout this letter. The commandments boil down to two things. Love God, love people. Over and over, we have recited this. Which 
is how we started this passage, right? Which is what we're supposed to be doing in verse 18, to be the kind of people who actively love by saying we need to be a people who love in action, not just talking about it. So by being the kind of Christians who actively love, who are actively pursuing this self-sacrificing, unconditional love for other people, this gives us confidence in the assurance of our salvation. And it gives us confidence in our standing with God. And we have the confidence that our prayers get answered when we are in line with God's will. And thirdly, we can have confidence in the grace that we have received. Look at verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. We've been told many times, if you've been here for any amount of time for this sermon series, you have heard the, word, you have heard the words abide in God a dozen times. Over and over, John has been telling the people, abide in God. We've said abide means to rest in him, dwell in him, stay in him, make him our home. And now in this verse, John says for the person keeping God's commandments, not only will we abide in God, but God in us. God will dwell in, stay in, make a home in us. Think about the intimacy that is promised there. The way a relationship can be deepened and the intimacy that comes through living with someone. How well you can get to know them, the kind of connection that you can develop, that's what's being promised here. And this mutual abiding happens, and we see it in the fact that Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Every Christian at salvation gets the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Guiding. We saw earlier on in this letter, he talked about the Holy Spirit as our anointing, as our guiding, as our, the one who helps us discern good from evil, the one who gives us knowledge. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he reminds Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Over and over in this letter, as I've said, John has told the people, has told us, abide in God. Dwell in him. Rest in him. And I think he does that in this short letter over and over again because they needed to hear it. It really needed to sink in. They needed to be reminded to rest in grace. And I think we need to hear that too. And I think we need to hear it a bunch. That we can rest in grace. That we can rest in God's provision and abundance that we can rest and trust in him. Because God doesn't want us to live our lives constantly in fear or worry or doubt about our relationship with him. Constantly wondering, am I really saved? Constantly wondering, am I really a child of God? Constantly trying to work on, work as if we're going to please God, as if we're going to earn our way into heaven. If you believe that Jesus is God, and that he died on the cross for your sins as the only possible way to have your sins forgiven and your relationship with God go from one of rebellion to child, if you believe that, then hear me, you are holy and eternally, completely, fully, securely, assuredly a child of God. You can't change that. 
As I said before, you can't outsin God's love for you. You can't do anything to, that is going to negate what, the, what was done at the cross. Jesus said it is finished. All sin, every sin was paid for at the cross. See, God wants us to live and live well. To enjoy the security and the comfort of knowing that you are his. He wants you to stop trying to work so hard to earn your way into heaven because it's not going to work. You can't. And even if you could, there's no need because as I said, Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. No more work needs to be done. So stop spinning your tires in the mud and just rest. Rest in what God has done. Rest in the grace you have received through Christ. Rest and abide in God and let God abide in you. So Christians, I pray that as we go out into the world this week, I pray that you are assured of your salvation. That you are encouraged that God answers and hears your prayers and that you are resting in the grace that you have received. And if you don't know Christ if you haven't experienced this grace, then let today be the first day for you to experience these realities. Let today be the day where you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, who came to earth and died on the cross and rose again, and in doing so, defeated sin and death and hell and the grave. And begin to live knowing that you can stand before God, forgiven, redeemed as his child, you can stand before God one day with complete confidence, not in your good works, not in your self-righteousness, but full confidence found in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to abide in him. That's what we are called to do. So I pray that we go out with confidence of the assurance of our salvation. Confident that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers and confident enough to be able to rest in the grace we have received from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are and what you do, what you have done for generations, the way that you sent your Son to die for us. God, we thank you for the cross, for the ugliness of it, but for the payment that was found there, for the freedom that is found there, for the life that is found there. God, we thank you for the empty tomb, the power of the resurrection, the joy of the resurrection, the truth that, God, you are greater than all things. You, you are greater than death. You are greater than sin. And these things cannot and will not hold us back. Lord, I pray as we go through this week, as we run into the chaos and darkness of this world, as we sometimes get so caught up in our own mess and we start to condemn ourselves, Lord, remind us that you are greater than any condemnation we could come up with and that we are now not condemned, but we are forgiven. We are your children and there is grace to be had always. God, remind us of that. Remind me of that because we need to know that. God, help us to be lights in this world. Help us as we Find our footing, find our foundation in you. Let that firm and steady foundation be a motivation for us to be lights for you, to point people to you, to help other people find their foundation, find the grace that for many 
it's lacking. For many, they haven't found it yet. And so God, help us to find our footing in you and help others do the same. Lord, we thank you for what you have been doing for generations in this church, for the way that people from generations have helped keep this building together, have helped make sure that the gospel is getting preached on this corner. And Lord, we pray that we continue to be faithful to what they have done and what you are calling us to do, to be a light in this neighborhood. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.